Now, with over 25 years of experience integrating mental health and spirituality, the author of Reclaiming Authenticity, When Ancestors Weep, and Redeeming the Bereaved, here is Dr. James Houck. Good afternoon, everybody, wherever you are in the world at this time. Welcome to Reclaiming Authenticity. So glad that you're joining me here this afternoon. Uh, Reclaiming Authenticity is finding one's courage to reclaim that which has always been in you. And I'll say a little bit more about that, uh, just uh, something that's very near and dear to my heart, uh, because I fully believe that we do come into the world with uh, everything that we already have. And um, I think most of our lives, we (laughs) go to try to figure out what that is and uh, to look inward or perhaps we look in all the wrong places but uh, it is there nonetheless well welcome 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 to yet another friday afternoon here it is straight up three o'clock eastern standard time i'm dr james hauk and if you'd like more information about me or to leave me your comments about today's show I invite you to do that i want you to visit our website it's www.bbsradio.com backslash, and then it's Reclaiming Authenticity, okay? And if you'd like to call in, uh, the number is 888-627-6008. That's 888-627-6008. And I'll be taking your calls after the break, about halfway through the broadcast. So I invite you to join in on the conversation. And uh, also pleased to uh, announce and remind everybody out there that these broadcasts are are podcasted now. In case you want to go back and listen again, or maybe you can't spend the whole hour with me and so forth, but you can always go back into the archives and listen to not only this show, but also previous shows. And um, these shows are also available for download on, if you have the Audible app or the Amazon Music app, um, you can access the show this way. And um, before we begin today, I just wanted to take time out um, each and every week. I just I thank everybody for their support over the past year and would like to say that you now have the opportunity to continue your support by becoming a monthly subscriber. And uh, just to clarify here that you do not need to have a uh, subscription to listen to these shows, but it is greatly appreciated. Okay, so and again, just go to the website and click on the link and choose any amount that you feel comfortable giving. And again, thank you for that. Well, very excited to be with you here each and every Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and any other time where you might find yourself today. Welcome to February 4th. Welcome to February. A lot going on this week. Not only did we uh, venture into a new month and, you know, if you're like me, you're like, what happened to January? Okay, it's, yeah, it's come and gone. So we're in February now. Happy Groundhog's Day for those who follow the little furry brown crew. And um, where we are, uh, you know, in the mid-Atlantic states, uh, Groundhog's Day is a big to-do. And so it was kind of like, yeah, okay, whatever. A little groundhog saw its shadow and six more weeks of winter. Um, 
whatever. You know, we have apps now that we could track our weather, but it's always fun to like, what's the groundhog going to say? So yeah, we have six more weeks of winter. So that's going to definitely take us uh, into March uh, before, you know, things hope, you know, hopefully warm up and so forth. But also uh, in addition to Groundhog's Day, I just wanted to say happy Chinese New Year for, for those who follow and celebrate Chinese New Year. It is the, you know, follows the uh, lunar calendar, not, not our um, other traditional calendar that begins on January the 1st, but the lunar calendar. And this happens to be the year of the tiger. So uh, those, again, those who follow uh, Chinese traditions, uh, tiger has great symbolism. Okay. So um, anyway, for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, just want to say, you know, welcome aboard. Welcome to the show. And each and every week, these broadcasts are dedicated to the integration of spirituality and our mental health. And that is very unique. It's not just talking all about spirituality or all about mental health, but something rather unique happens, something rather transformative happens to us when we integrate our spirituality and the state of our mental health. It is extraordinary to say the least. Because um, the greater context in which I place this integration of spirituality and mental health is in relationships, because uh, that is the, if you want to use this term, the common denominator. Uh, but, you know, it doesn't matter who we are or where we were born in the world or even into what family we were placed. Ours is a world that is just filled with relationships, and um, we are born into relationships. And indeed, we are social beings who we spend our lives trying to make sense of our world, and at times we try to find our place in the world. But that is often um, completed, or I should say pursued, in the greater context of our relationships. And uh, as I said, we are social beings, um, and it is often within the context of relationships that we unfortunately experience tremendous pain or suffering or disappointment or frustration and, and so forth. And these could be anything from uh, overt acts of betrayal or cruelty uh, that somebody has inflicted on us or we have inflicted on them, or uh, maybe we are just in the wrong place at the wrong time. But at any rate, uh, many people um, have the the scars of you know such physical, psychological, emotional, and spiritual woundedness. Okay, and um, as I'll be talking about in this show, uh, is is basically how we tell our stories and and how we're able to go deeper in our stories with the assistance of teachers and mentors and gurus and so forth and even leaders but we have to really do our own homework because a teacher uh, a, a guru a mentor and so forth a leader um, who has really done his or her work in this area will point us 
to exactly into the direction that we need to go and will will take us deeper into uh, the themes of forgiveness in our lives and gratitude and, and where do they show up and not only important you know not just important as as um, forgiveness and gratitude is but also the depth of love so that we can continue in our relationships not from a place of frustration or pain or confusion or or you know woundedness but rather we become you know better in and through healthier relationships you know as we heal we heal others it may not be directly but definitely indirectly and so you know just in all of our relationships uh, no matter how close they are whether it be uh, the one who holds that special place in our hearts to family members or extended family members to people that we just randomly meet on the street we're going to be different because well we are different we're going to be different in those relationships and so forth okay so just as we experience shall we say, woundedness on many different levels in certain relationships. It's also within the context of healthier relationships that we can find our healing and ultimately our voice, our purpose, our authenticity. Okay? And then it's, you know, the difficulty is finding the courage to discover those things which have always been in you. And I'm talking about those gifts and graces and skills and our uniqueness that we have come into the world with. And this is what the uh, Franciscan uh, scholar John Dunn Scotus um, mentions when he talks about a hachetas or a thisness. He'd often write, like, what is a person's uniqueness? What is this thisness that they have that nobody else has? Because You've heard me say this on numerous times, and I'll, I'll say it again. I'm a firm believer that we come into this world with everything we need for ourselves and for others. But through various experiences we've been taught or we just assume that, um, you know, we have to give away those parts, if not the whole, of that uniqueness or thisness in order to survive unhealthy relationships. Because, you know, perhaps we felt maybe growing up, or you might even feel this today, as though that you just cannot live up to the expectations of another. Or maybe you've hid your uniqueness, or you're hiding your uniqueness from others in order to survive abuse. Or perhaps those aspects of yourself that um, had been taken away from you, and you just didn't have the strength to either hang on to those things or to, to fight it. But, but either way, you know, all is not lost because whenever we become aware that certain things have been done to us or, or the things that we have done, it, it takes tremendous courage to reclaim who we are. And we can reclaim our voice, our uniqueness, our thisness. So this is really what reclaiming authenticity is all about focusing on the integration of spirituality and our mental health, all within the context of our relationships with ourselves, others, God, or the divine. Okay. Well, 
let's take this a little bit deeper, shall we, before we get into what it is that we're going to be talking about today. Uh, when we get into healthier relationships, uh, it is amazing as we have been working on, let's say, our forgiveness and our gratitude and, and love, uh, we begin to understand that uh, forgiveness and kindness and compassion begins with us. It begins with how we treat ourselves, and let's say that we're engaged in, you know, really struggling with with trying to forgive somebody of what they had done, and we often overlook the fact that, ooh, what is it in us that we need to forgive ourselves for? Is there anything that we have done? If not, okay, but we always have to look within ourselves, because forgiveness and kindness and compassion begins with us. And as we are healing, you know, we can we can measure our healing to a certain degree, because whenever we're compassionate with ourselves, we find that we discover that we can become more compassionate with others. And when we're more patient with ourselves, we then discover that we can become more patient with others and vice versa. And when we are more forgiving of ourselves, we can certainly be more forgiving with another person. Okay. And one of my things that I think is key to all this is and when we're able to live in gratitude with ourselves and gratitude with what we have and, and to be at a peace uh, and be at peace and contentment with who we are, we then discover how this opens our hearts up to see and live in gratitude with others. So transformation always begins with us, but it extends out in these relationships. So how is your heart these days? You know, here we are in February, and I hope your heart is uh, doing well. I hope you are well. And uh, if, if not, uh, you know, my hope is that even if you're struggling today, that you'll be able to find the comfort and rest and peace that you need. Well, welcome to today's show, Soul to Soul, Life to Life, where transformative wisdom occurs. Okay? And again, you probably caught on that, yes, it's going to bring us right back into the context of relationships, because that is where and how truth is imparted, this, this transformative wisdom. This is where it occurs, a soul-to-soul -soul connection or a life-to-life -life connection or a heart-to-heart -heart connection, okay? So let's talk about um, people who help us do that, okay? So uh, I'm sure all of us can probably count on one hand the number of teachers who've had made a great difference in our lives. You probably still remember their names, Okay, and it could be, you know, the way they taught us or the passion in which they interacted with us to their presence. And great teachers and gurus and leaders went beyond merely teaching us facts and figures. Instead, you know, making these teachers and gurus and leaders what made them great was the way they exuded genuine wisdom that transformed into making our lives better 
And you know what? It really didn't matter what the subject was. It could have been math. It could have been science. It could have been spelling. It could have been something else. But it was something about how they taught because they were teaching from, let's say, a different perspective, a different place in them where they saw great potential in their students. Okay. So whether it's within, let's say, Western or Eastern cultures, okay, effective teachers and mentors and leaders and gurus throughout history have been characterized by those who help, uh, as I would like to, to say, help pull out of us and others the very best of ourselves. In fact, they help us to be healed and empowered to tell our stories differently. Because as we've interacted with them, uh, or maybe we're still interacting with them, and as we share our stories, our life stories, they now become part of those stories and to one degree or another, how they shaped us or how they impacted us or how they were with us. Okay, Again, it wasn't just words that they taught with, but it was maybe their presence or how they lived their lives, the authenticity that they lived out on a daily basis. Well, it's it's unfortunate that something I've noticed that's being lost uh, or at least downplayed in our society um, in today's world, and, and that's the special relationship between a teacher and a student or, let's say, a master and a disciple. And it's within this special relationship that's unlike any other relationship we might have with anyone else in this life. It is really unique. It is very solid. Because, again, I'm a firm believer that everything we do involves an interaction with other people. And again, it all comes back to relationships. And, yeah, there is uh, a potential there for wounding in relationships, and there's a potential for healing in relationships. So let's think back again to the teachers that you've had in your life that have made a huge difference in the world. What what made the difference? You know, and and let's be honest, there may have been teachers who we had who may have abused their position or sought to control others through, let's say, trying to contain knowledge and privilege. And there may have been others who sought to empower us and set us free with that knowledge and said, look, this isn't just math or science, but here's why we learn these subjects. Here's why this is so important. This is how it makes our lives better. Because there are teachers who can reach us in, let's say, a formal setting, like a school or a college, a, a university, even a trade school, or, or leaders and teachers in church or synagogue or a mosque. And then there are teachers who may have done their best teaching outside the classroom, so to speak. You know, teachers who have shown up at just the right time in our lives, in which, let's say, we are now ready to hear from them and to be transformed by not only who they are, but also what they shared and how they shared it. Okay, and another thing that we have to be honest with ourselves, that as we're talking about teachers and leaders and mentors and gurus and so forth, is that they can only take us as far as they themselves 
have gone in terms of their own discovery and, and realization and growth. And uh, there are some teachers who have taken us so far, and then we find that they are, you know, in one way or another, have handed us off to another teacher who takes us a little bit farther and so forth and so forth. And we can certainly point to, let's say, a formal education that as we graduate and we go up the ladder from elementary school to middle school to high school and maybe into college and so forth. Yeah, we've had many different teachers. And but that knowledge builds on on one after another. Okay. But um, let's think about the teachers who have not set foot in the classroom to teach us. Okay, there may have also been many teachers in our lives and still to this day, teachers who take us to a certain level or to a certain point because we're open at that time to hear it or it's just exactly what we need. And then, you know, in kind of an indirect way, hand it off to another teacher who can take us just a little bit farther and so forth. Okay, I've heard many people, you know, share those experiences with me that they've had several teachers and each one has had a unique way of uh, interacting and and, uh, impacting or shaping their lives. And you've heard me on many times in this broadcast talking about uh, teachers and about that one dear mentor and teacher and friend who, you know, the one who taught me so much uh, about healing intergenerational trauma. And uh, it was not only through his words and behaviors that I, I learned, but also how he was and how he is with me, you know, his presence. And indeed, it is a special relationship. He would drive me crazy at times because he didn't let anything go. Everything was a lesson, or I should say everything involves a lesson. And, you know, I have to be honest with everybody. There's sometimes I just didn't want to hear it. I just wasn't in the mood to be taught. I just wanted to just hang out, chill, relax, whatever. And yet here comes a lesson. Bam. Right, in, right between my eyes, and it's like, oh, I gotta, I gotta think, and and it's like, just stop, and just be open, be aware that yeah, lessons are coming to us anywhere, anytime, because we often look for God, and we don't realize that perhaps God is like right under our noses. <laughs> Or God is answering a prayer that we had uh, in the most unlikely ways and through the most unlikely people. And so having that moment-to-moment awareness to not just pick up on the lessons that we need to um, integrate into our lives, but also to be aware of just how might God you know, integrate us into somebody else's life, um, you know, through a kind word or just being there, our presence and and so forth. So indeed, um, very, very special relationship that I have with my teacher. And um, as I said before, relationships are very important. So the teacher to student or teacher, disciple, guru to student and so forth, these relationships are very very unique. And as a teacher or a mentor or a guru, um, they assume a tremendous responsibility 
for the student or students, for not just for what's being taught, you know, being held to a higher standard, but also how the student is mentored. Okay. And again, I, I see a, just such a tremendous shift going on in the world today regarding such relationships. And I believe the, the different ways in which people have been exposed to, let's say, in the past, uh, the controlling oppressive ways, you know, down through history, and how people are becoming more and more resistant to that kind of misuse of power. And this is one of the uh, distinct characteristics that I mentioned last week about, uh, you know, being a teacher in name only. Uh, and versus one who has done and is doing their own inner work. Because, again, it is quite honest to say that a teacher or a leader in name only who says, do it my way, you know, is one who's pretty much, do, you know, seeking to control. They seek to manipulate or they have their own agenda or they, they seek to work through a student to advance, you know, their own goals. And, and that could become very oppressive. You know, it's, it's almost like a, a cookie cutter mentality that you have to come out a certain way that doesn't allow for freedom of integration and so forth. But a teacher, a leader a guru who has done their work and is doing their inner work, who teaches through lived experiences, is one who is tremendously valuable because they seek not only to impart knowledge, but more importantly, they seek to impart wisdom through their own lived experiences, their shared experiences, which involves their own struggles, their own joys, sorrows, it involves their life in a way that is very transparent, and it's often experienced through their humility and honor. And, you know, it is a, a wise student or wise students who listen, uh, you know, to what's being taught uh, or how it's being taught, uh, that uh, they understand that they can see, they can read, they can hear, they can feel it. They know something's different. They see the transparency. They see the humility. They see the honor. And like I said, they can feel it within their heart that what is being shared and how it's being shared is authentic. As well as, you know, who is sharing is genuine. Because again, an authentic teacher, leader, or mentor never seeks to control it seems like I can't emphasize that enough because I just see it not just down through history, but it's also going on today. And the effective teachers and leaders in our lives, they always look within a student or a mentee for the potential to be empowered, to integrate the truth, and to live it out for themselves. There is no cookie-cutter mentality. It's like, how are you going to live this out? How are you going to integrate it? In fact, the most effective teachers are the ones who bring out the best in us and even points us in the direction to where we must do our own work in terms of integrating forgiveness and gratitude and love. 
And they're, you know, this is what thousands of great leaders and teachers have done for centuries. And as we are now in the month of February, Black History Month, you know, we're going to be reminded of Martin Luther King Jr. And he was one who not only spoke from the pulpit or the podium, so to say, but he was also one who came down from the podium and marched with the people. You know, he wasn't a, well, do as I say, he was let's do this together. You know, he, he lived the struggle. He, he walked with the people. He uh, ate with the people. He drank their water. He breathed the same air. One of them, as well as like pointing to society and says, you know, and then said that, yes, things need to change. It's time to change. It's things need to transform. It's time for people to transform. And the reason why um, effective, effective leaders can do this is because they're, they're not willing to allow others to settle for, you know, mediocrity. And even if there is some resistance, a, a teacher who is doing their work, a guru who has done and is doing their inner journey, they're patient knowing that everybody is on his or her own spiritual journey. They know it might take longer. They know it's going to take time and so forth. But everybody arrives at the truth sooner or later. <laughs> Instead, you know, effective teachers and mentors and leaders always empower us to discover the greatness in ourselves and others. Again, they, they pull it out of us. Okay? And they, they see how to pull it out of us, what speaks to us, and, and what impacts us, and so forth. Okay? Well, and effective teachers and mentors and leaders, again, never, ever, ever, ever seek to control others. They seek to release and, and hope that we have the courage then to embrace that freedom. And again, Teachers and mentors and leaders can do this, the great ones, because they themselves have, dis have discovered how to live in forgiveness and gratitude and love on a daily basis. So let me, you know, if you're hoping you're taking notes or anything, let me give you a little exercise in looking for three specific things in leaders and teachers and gurus. Ask yourself, just ask yourself this question. How have they integrated and been transformed by forgiveness, gratitude, and love. How they been in, you know, how have they integrated and been transformed by forgiveness, gratitude, and love? And that should tell you everything you need to know about whether or not, you know, they seek to control others or they seek to empower others. But sometimes we find an effective teacher or a mentor and leader, and we often become complacent, okay? We become complacent, believing that, well, maybe all I need to do is just hang around them and ask for one blessing after another. You know, but again, let's not kid ourselves. We have our own spiritual inner work to do in terms of cultivating our own forgiveness, gratitude, and love in a daily life. I mean, we too have a responsibility to be open and teachable. And down through the centuries, the traditional or ancient teachers, well, you know, they viewed students as a, a tabula rasa, 
a blank slate upon which to record knowledge. Okay, that, that students were viewed as empty vessels to be filled then with facts and figures and so forth. Or, you can put it another way, that students were encouraged to have that childlike faith and to approach the things of God and the inner truth that lie within the soul with humility and a trust and a faith that is simple and true. And students were responsible for being open and teachable and prepared themselves to receive and to accept the fact that they didn't know what they didn't know. And, and therefore, you know, to empty themselves of the notion that they didn't have everything figured out, but rather they needed to yield themselves in order to be taught. Well, I would really love to hear your heart uh, on this subject. And uh, if you'd like to call in, that number is 888-627-6008. That's 888-627-6008. I'd love to hear your stories about the teachers who've made a difference in your life and and how, um, how that's made an impact on you. So I'll be taking your calls after this break. And again, you are listening to Reclaiming Authenticity. And I'm your host, Dr. James Houck. Be back with you in one minute. Okay, welcome back, everybody. I am Dr. James Houck, and you are listening to Reclaiming Authenticity. Just want to give you a little heads up about next week's show. I invite you to tune in same time, Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm going to be sharing the ways in which we, in the past, have measured mental and spiritual growth in our lives. Okay, but it's it's not just going to be about that. But really, I want to share, you know, how I believe we're being called now to transcend those developmental parameters, those those like you know signposts that say, okay, I'm it says I'm here or it says I'm there, and this is how far I have to go. And how, on one hand, yes, that kind of shows us where we're at, but on the other hand, it can really really hinder. Our, our growth because we are in a way kind of measuring success. So again, invite you to tune in next week, Friday, 3 p.m. I'll be sharing just how we are to transcend the developmental parent uh, parameters, I should say, uh, to measuring mental and spiritual growth. Okay. 
Well, earlier in the show, I was uh, talking about how a teacher or a leader or a guru who has done their work, uh, their inner work, who teaches through lived experiences, is one who is tremendously valuable because they seek not only to impart knowledge, but more importantly, they seek to impart wisdom through their own lived experiences and their shared experiences. And this sharing involves their own struggles. You know, that's a part of their story. You know, they share with us their own joys and their sorrows. And it involves, you know, seeing their life and walking with them in a way that is transparent, seen through their humility and honor. And it is wise. It is a wise student who listens to that and understands that uh, you know the person can see it. I can read it. I can hear it. I can feel it within my heart that what is being shared is authentic, and uh, you know that what is being shared is genuine, and who is doing the sharing is genuine, because a true leader, teacher, mentor will never seek to control us. They will always impart that wisdom in order for us to experience what they have experienced. And that is such a freedom. And, uh, you know, the, the teachers in our lives that have made a difference to us, or even the ones that we have in our lives today, uh, they always look within the student or the mentee, uh, you know, they look for that potential to be empowered to integrate the truth and live it out for themselves. Okay. And as I mentioned right before the break, it's Martin Luther King Jr. who was very good at this. You know, he was one who not only, you know, was a, you know, a great leader because he spoke from the pulpit and the, the podium, but he came down from that and walked amongst the people. He, you know, got involved in the marches and he was not hiding in the back. He was out front. He was like, okay, we're in this together. Let's go, follow me, and so forth. And it really encouraged the people because he was very authentic and so forth. And uh, I'm convinced that we, we learn best when we're able to integrate such wisdom into our lives on that daily basis. Okay, because if there's one aspect that has been so evident down through the centuries, it's the fact that truth has always been imparted soul to soul life to life, one relationship to another relationship to another relationship, and so forth. In fact, even if a leader or a teacher or a guru had been killed for imparting truth, the wisdom contained within that truth can never be silenced because it lies within the soul. And interestingly enough, it brings us to this point, that not everyone is going to be drawn to truth of what is being shared. In fact, it seems like it's just the opposite. Uh, The more authentic the person, the more authentic the message, the more a person or persons um, come up against that, more and more you're going to find more and more people are repelled by it, and they seek to silence it. And so whenever we 
we come across this in even recent history or ancient history or whatever, we just have to ask ourselves, so what is it about society and people within society who feel that they need to silence or stifle a leader? You know, one is, is who is considered to be so threatening or they are threatened by the truth. That a person living out their truth and speaking their truth is viewed as one who needs to be killed or done away with. But you know, you can never silence truth. I think it's interesting that since the beginning of time, humanity has always tried to, shall we say, wash their hands from all kinds of atrocities and injustices that have been inflicted on land and each other. And ironically, such crimes against humanity uh, quite often seem to escalate, especially when they're done for and in the name of God. And in this sense, humanity is very creative, um, you know, with coming up with ways for justifying, you know, shedding another's blood, innocent or otherwise. Well, if you've ever watched the Disney movie, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, you might recognize the phrase, dead men tell no tales. And this is a phrase that was uttered by Mr. Cotton's parrot. I mean, that's all he would say. Dead men tell no tales. And many people believe this was a phrase invented by the pirates as they swashbucked their way through perilous voyages in search of buried treasure. Now, even today, hearing this phrase might make the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. Uh, but, you know, neither Disney nor the pirates invented this expression. In, in fact, its, its origins can be traced back to a proverb by the English reformer Thomas Becket. I think he lives somewhere in like the mid to late 1500s. And uh, he says that uh, the dead cannot reveal any secrets. Right? That's the original context. The dead cannot reveal any secrets. Okay, so although this saying has existed for a long time, it didn't really gain popularity until it became famous through the Pirates of the Caribbean ride at Disney. And basically, to tell no tales means to keep something quiet or kill anybody who knows about it. And since that person is dead, well, it would be pretty much impossible for him or her to tell your secret. And a very similar saying actually came from Benjamin Franklin, who said, three can keep a secret if two are dead. Okay. Well, today, forensic psychologists, and coroners, and crime scene investigators, and detectives investigating murder scenes do rely on the deceased to tell them all kinds of secrets as to who or what or where or when and even perhaps why they died or were killed. And interestingly, the westernized world of mental health therapy and medicine and spirituality and theology must also discover the benefit of knowing how the dead continue to speak through the living. And perhaps despite what we've been taught in, let's say, biology class or theology or psychology classes, various personal experiences reveal that the dead do speak in many ways. 
In fact, they speak to us, let's say, in our dreams, through our conditioned behaviors, even our attitudes or perceptions or thought processes or learned behavior. They even speak to us through work ethics and interpersonal relationships and phobias and addictions and all handed down to us from one generation after another. And, um, you know, maybe you're like me that you even know somebody in your family who has a certain mannerism that is the spitting image of a deceased relative whom they've never met. I'm reminded of a story that my, my grandmother, when she was living, always used to tell me that I reminded her of my deceased grandfather. And, and my grandfather, he died in the coal mines when my father was two years old. She used to say, you know, whenever you sit and you hold your head a certain way, you, rem- you remind me of George. And there were even times that when I left, I reminded my grandmother of him. Now, as a boy growing up, I didn't know what she meant by that, but for her, it was as if George continued to live on in the family. And indeed he does. See, family secrets and personal stories of injustices that were, shall we say, intended to be taken to the grave also live on in present generations. In fact, those so-called family and society secrets are often revealed again and again and again through unhealed traumas that have been passed down through the language of blood and the voice of the soul. In fact, for all of society's feeble attempts at sanitizing human history, blood spilled in the name of murder or genocide or manifest destiny and cover-ups and the doctrine of discovery and slavery, forced starvation, encampments, lynchings, exterminations, just to name a few. These are still evident in both the land that holds the energy where the blood was shed, as well as the souls that remain ensnared there. And as stated earlier, these phenomena are especially true when such violent crimes against humanity were committed in the name of God. And this uh, fundamental belief used to justify such mistreatment of humanity. And this is what uh, Kevin Annette, uh, he's the founder of the International Tribunal into Crimes of Church and State, he describes as that when God is on our side, we feel as though we can commit any crime. We are absolved individually from that crime by believing we have a higher sanction. And that's the danger of religion. It allows people to do that. Well, ironically, blood spilled throughout the history of violence against one another is never silent. The cries of the blood and the soul reach heaven, crying out to every succeeding generation to heed its voice and reconcile its suffering. But let's come back to the teacher. Let's come back to the leader, the mentor, the guru, who teaches us and is very effective in our lives because they have done and are doing their inner work. And let's ask ourselves the question, how did they get to this point to where they're teaching, but yet 
it comes from a place within them that sees not only themselves, not only the world, but they see us differently. Well, I think this is the answer, okay? Let's, let's begin with this simple question. Just how differently would we live our lives if we fully realized ourselves as souls? And how differently would we live our lives if we treated one another as souls? I mean, and I'm sure the answer is that our lives would look a lot different than what they appear to be today. And I also suspect that we would be so empowered to treat others and all relationships with the fullest extent of kindness and love and patience and compassion and grace that the world would definitely sit up and take notice. To you, it is possible that the teachers in our lives who had a tremendous impact on us saw more in us than, let's say, perhaps we even realized at any given moment. And that's powerful. That is a teacher who has realized that within himself and herself and, and doesn't just see the student. They see the potential for that student to realize all that they are, all that they brought into this world and so forth. Well, when I was in um, graduate school, I was first exposed to Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's just a very basic, basic model, um, in, but it's a means of understanding our human nature and striving to achieve personal goals. I mean, it's applicable to anybody. Okay, and uh, this model of understanding human development, you know, or understanding the self follows the logic that our lives go through stages, if you will, of attaining personal needs, such as food or clothing, shelter, security, intimacy with others, goals, life meaning, purpose, and so forth. But uh, ironically, many people today believe that once they attain self-actualization, because that word is kicked around a lot, or discovering their life's purpose or motivation and meaning, then they have finally found life satisfaction that has so long eluded them. And it doesn't always turn out to be that way. In fact, many people are often met with the harsh reminder that in attaining, let's say, our dreams and ambitions and goals doesn't necessarily guarantee happiness, let alone finding an inner peace that we, would, let's say, perhaps thought we would find. Um, now, despite you know accomplishments, people still sense something is missing from their lives. Okay, It's like they've set a bar and they've achieved it. Now what? Okay, and there's like, there's this more of like, I got to do better, I got to do it, you know, wiser or something. And, um, you know, it's it, it just, it throws a lot of people that I talk to. They're just like, I thought it would be different. I thought it would feel different. Okay, and, um, you know, what is this thing that's missing from their lives? And so, in spite of their accomplishments, you know, why then do many people feel so empty when they have so much? What's the problem? You know, seems to be a disconnect there. And uh, perhaps these feelings of disappointment with Maslow's hierarchy, shall I say, stems from a misperception that it's a flawed model. Okay, but 
maybe we just need to understand that that model is limited. In other words, self-actualization carries us only so far. And here I'm kind of tipping my hand of what's going to be shared for next week because, you know, we we want to hang our hats, so to speak, on these models that say, if we just follow the pattern and stay on track, you'll get it. And it's like, wait a minute, these models that we have in our lives can be very, very limiting. Okay, so self-actualization only carries us so far. But attaining true happiness and joy and peace in our lives comes not in the accumulation of things or degrees or accomplishments, but rather these things come from the grace of God's presence in our lives and through leaders, teachers, mentors, and gurus who have experienced it themselves. Okay, these are the things that have truly touched their soul, and these are the things that truly touch our soul. In fact, there is a greater depth of contentment and forgiveness and love and joy and peace and so forth that awakens in us when we fully realize ourselves as souls. I mean, truly, who are we? And it's it's through God's grace that we're able to recognize our soul's connection to God, and we kind of like throw off that cloak of illusion. And still, um, with the limitation of Maslow's you know model, it doesn't mean that it's it's a worthless pursuit. I mean, we do have needs. You know, we do need food and clothing and shelter and so forth. So it's not a bad model. It's just limited. Okay, but. Um, we also have to understand that as we pursue these things, um, looking beyond that always points us towards a higher awakening of self-realization of who we truly are. In other words, we're worried about feeding the body. Of course, we get hungry, okay? But what are we doing to feed the soul? We talk about being in nurturing relationships, okay, but how are we nurturing the soul? How are we truly treating one another as souls? Okay. And interestingly, I've learned this lesson, you know, and because I, I became involved in healing intergenerational trauma. You know, but the first thing that uh, we, I think all of us need to do is to step outside our linear thinking of, like, say, a past, present, future and take a leap of faith shall I say, and fall into God's grace that opens us up to this expanded awareness, this expanded consciousness. Okay? I mean, once we realize who we are and our teachers and gurus and mentors and, and so forth who have been very effective in our lives, who pull out the very best in us, once we realize what those things are and who we are, we are then encouraged to re-engage Maslow's hierarchy, shall we say, from a more life-giving inspiration that focuses not on an ego-driven achievement, but rather we're now going to do things which enhance the value and dignity and worth of all relationships. Because perhaps that's what's been taught to us. Perhaps that's what's been modeled for us. Okay. So, realized souls are no longer motivated to feed others just for the sake of alleviating their own guilt and, and filling the empty stomachs. 
Okay? But rather, their motivation comes from the awareness that by feeding others, they're also feeding the souls with compassion and grace. And instead of spending time with another out of obligation and like, okay, it's that time again this week, realized souls instead see another soul in need of friendship and love. And instead of forgiving others from the perspective of, well, what do I get out of it? We instead forgive because we will not allow people to carry the crippling effects of unforgiveness and bitterness that it has on them and us as souls. And all in all, as we bless others in the physical sense, we also bless them in the spiritual sense. And this is the wisdom that is communicated from very effective teachers in our lives, because they see that potential in us. They say, that's what you need to do in terms of forgiveness, gratitude, and love. Do your inner work because it's there. It's there to be discovered. It's there to be embraced. It's there to be lived. It's there to be a healing and a blessing for not just yourself, but for others who need to discover those things in themselves as well. I mean, never diminish even the simplest acts of kindness and compassion and grace. I mean, these are truly the acts that touch the soul and cause all of heaven to rejoice. I mean, even a cup of cold water can invoke this. So self-realization fulfills this self-actualization. Well, I'm Dr. James Houck, and you have been listening to Reclaiming Authenticity. Until we talk to one another again, may you find that peace, may you be in peace, and may God hold us in God's hand. Bye-bye. For an answer, or just to leave a thousand comments, or prodding to buy a book by Dr. Hauk, it's all there. Just wander on over to ReclaimingAuthenticity.com and click around. And we'll see you next Friday at noon Pacific Time on PBS Radio TV.